You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Well, we are back, and we're grateful that you're back, hopefully, too. <laughs> if you're listening, you're back. So we're all back. This is great. Um, so Brad Gray and Janine Bits in here. We're in the second hour of Real Presence Live, this Monday edition, this Our Lady of Guadalupe edition of Real Presence Live, and it's just been a joy. God is he's so good, and this Advent season is so rich. Um, and and it's just a blessed time to have these conversations about our faith. It, it really is. And, you know, we we need to be seeking Jesus through the Eucharist mm-hmm. and in our prayer life, but we also need to be able to be strengthened and go out into the world and yep. live our faith mm-hmm. in the world. And so I'm really grateful that our next guest is going to just really help us um, be be light of the world, mm-hmm. you know, in in these difficult issues. And, and yeah, sometimes very very complex right. uh, scenarios. So we are, are we're joined now by Dr. Joseph Meany. He is the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Uh, so good morning. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Meany. Hi, it's a pleasure to be with you. Well, we're delighted to have you. Um, so as we get started, could you just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I'm. Um president of the NCBC since 2019. Prior to that, I worked uh, in the international pro-life movement with Human Life International for over 20 years. Awesome. And uh, I've uh, come from kind of an interesting background in the sense that my mom's a medical doctor and my father was a professor of philosophy and theology. Mm. So we had a lot of interesting conversations around the dinner table. I bet you did. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, mom actually started the the pro-life office for the Diocese of Corpus Christi, where I grew up. And so we had pro-life going on from pretty much birth. <laughs> and the earliest memories I have are, are different pro-life events, etc. And then had a, a very wonderful Catholic education in, in both uh, grade school and high school, and then at university, at the University of Dallas. Mm. And I was more and more interested in, in these topics of, of bioethics and, and pro-life, pro-family work. So that's what led me after, after graduation, and, and I did some graduate work. I actually studied... Uh, Latin American studies, and in particular, uh, kind of public health and, and working with uh, Catholic clinics in Guatemala doing care for the poor. Mm. But I, I ran into sort of the population control movement, mm. which unfortunately is quite pervasive out there. Yes, it is. And so that took me to pro-life work at the UN, and uh, I did that in the 90s, and that led me to Human Life International, and then eventually to the NCBC. Wow, so you haven't done much then, is what you're saying. Just kind of no, sitting around. Of, yeah. Of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the most beautiful experiences was going around the world, um, 81 countries actually, wow. and seeing the church everywhere. No yeah. way. Beautiful. That's amazing. Wow. Well, Dr. Uh, Dr. Meany, you are the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. Can you tell us, like, what, what is bioethics? What, what's that all about? Yeah. So, bioethics essentially is the study of ethics as applied to living beings. And it's called bioethics rather than human ethics because it actually incorporates uh, also the study of, you know, what can be ethically done with animals hmm. and, and even, you know, the biosphere. So, so sort of, you know, people can talk about, like, environmental crimes, but it's true that, you know, we, we have this responsibility to take care of, of our common home, as Pope Francis says. And so you can study the ethics, actually, of, you know, pollution <laughs> hmm. and, and other things like that. The, the main topic, though, of bioethics is human beings, clearly. And in, in a sense, it kind of replaced medical ethics 
um, in the sense that um, it used to just be medical ethics, and then bioethics kind of grew into also looking at research projects and, and scientific developments, et cetera. So how old is this field of bioethics? Is this hundreds of so years as an old? academic discipline, yeah, the, 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 ter- the term was actually only coined in the 1970s. Okay. But, of course, bioethics was going on before then, and, and in a sense, moral theology is, is a very close relative, and, and, of course, general ethics and medical ethics existed long before bioethics did. In a sense, bioethics was kind of an expansion on medical ethics. Mm. Mm. So... Oh, go ahead, Janine. No, I, I, I'm just so intrigued by this, you know, as someone who went to school for, like, environmental studies and so forth, and it's just like, there's such an important need to t- care for, be good stewards of the environment, but it also, when you, you mentioned the population control group, it's like they're anti-human. Right. And so it's just so important, you know, for us as lay people, you know, how... How can we as lay people, uh, ordinary people in day-to-day life, how can we become more knowledgeable and, and better advocates on what we need to do in the case of moral theology and bioethics? Yeah, so wonderful question. I mean, I think St. John Paul II really shone a light as to what should be done. Uh, his pontificate, of course, covered most of the period where, where bioethics existed, right, from the, from the 70s to to the early 2000s, and, and he focused in on the dignity of the human person and, and the, the unique role of the, the human being, both as a steward of creation, but also as, as, a, as an object, mm-hmm. right? So that what we can and cannot do to other human beings mm-hmm. is, is kind of the focus of bioethics, and, and what is the dignity of the human person, and from that flows so many conclusions as to why, you know, in vitro fertilization is wrong, or why abortion is wrong, or why, you know, all these other different technologies that are being developed, you have to look at them very carefully to see if they're truly serving the dignity of the human person, or rather demeaning people or or using them as means rather than than ends. Mm. Yeah, that can be very, very, uh, I don't know, difficult to nuance, right? I mean, there there are so many different um, realities to take account of, and, and... uh, I think it's so important to have people who who really understand this and help us kind of average lay people know, like you know, wh- if I wind up with my parents in the hospital, my dad in the hospital, you know, what's what's okay? How do I how do I serve his dignity? How do I honor his dignity? And how do I you know, like the role of suffering? And how does how does this all fit together? Because I think so many of us just come you know confused and wanting to do the right thing, and and. Uh, it's just a, such a blessing to have a resource that you can go to and say, okay, this is how God has oriented. This is how God has designed uh, this this beautiful dynamism of life, right? Yes. No, you're absolutely right. And, and really since the beginning, the NCBC is actually celebrating our 50th anniversary this December. So cool. we're, we're within a few days of our 50th anniversary. Wow. Um, but I, I always thought it was very providential, right, that we were started in December of 1972, and of course, in January of 1973, Roe v. Wade happened. Right. So, in a sense, we uh, we were created just in time <laughs> to, mm. to you know hold up the, the culture of life and the dignity of the human person as all these attacks uh, really accelerated. But as you mentioned, at the end of life, there are many many questions for faithful faithful people. You know, good good Catholics, but it's not 100 percent clear what should be done in certain circumstances. 
particularly because of our biotechnological revolution. I mean, what can be done today is exponentially bigger than, than what could be done 50 years ago. Yes. Right. But then the question becomes, what should be done? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not always a question that's asked in the, the larger medical community, right? It's, it's, it's oftentimes, oh, absolutely. What, you know, what boundaries can we push, right? Yes. Well, you know, unfortunately, in, in kind of the secular medical biotech research world, they don't really ask that question of what should be done. It's always the question of what can be done. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what is the cutting edge? How can we take this a little further? And, and they don't stop and pause very often to think, well, okay, but <laughs> if we do this, it has really terrible consequences or, or, or could be misused in terrible ways. Mm-hmm. We should be putting in ethical safeguards. Um, actually, you're asking about the origin of bioethics. One of the, the big origins of bioethics actually were the atrocities mm-hmm. that took place in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all these so-called medical research uh, projects, et cetera, that were done by the Nazis. But clearly, I mean, informed consent was not being obtained <laughs> from these mm-hmm. prisoners. And then countries looked at themselves. They were condemning the Nazis. And they looked at themselves and said, wait a second. We have all kinds of human research going on in our countries without informed consent. And here in the United States, we had the terrible Tuskegee experiments going on, and mm. many other countries had the same. And so we said, well, we need ethical safeguards. And so that, in a sense, was, you know, ethical review boards, et cetera, were created. That, that in a sense, was the beginning of, of bioethics as a, as a discipline. And Dr. Meany, when, when you mentioned informed consent, um, it's, it's interesting because there are certain things that even if someone's informed and consenting to it, it's, it's not something that one ought to do, right? Correct. Yes, and so, you know, something that um, the, the Catholic bishops have done a very good job of here in the United States is the Ethical and Religious Directives for Catholic Healthcare Services, which is a document by the USCCB, and it essentially gives uh, guidance to Catholic healthcare practitioners, but also Catholic healthcare institutions. And one of the things in there is, look, even if a person wants, you know, they, they understand all the risks and benefits, and they want something that is contrary to the moral law, that they go to the hospital and they ask for you know, physician-assisted suicide, or they ask for abortion, or they ask for sterilization, direct sterilization, etc., you cannot provide that to them. Mm. Because, you know, even though they want it, that doesn't mean that it's right. Mm-hmm. And and you have a duty not to violate your own moral conscience uh, in, in going along with that. Mm. And, and I think that's going to be something that will be real important after we take this quick break. Uh, just to inform us how more the, the the um, the Catholicism connected to bio, bioethics and the human person. You know, talked about JP two, but what does the Catechism say? And you, I mean, there's so much that's right there mm-hmm. uh, to unpack as well. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, Dr. Joseph Meany is joining us. Uh, he is the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center, and we're just so grateful that he has joined us to help unpack this more because it's a complicated subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much confusion out there, and we really need to look at our church and our bishops and the experts in the field to help guide us. So we'll be right back on the other side of this break. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. For me, it was just a question of, okay, put aside all of your preconceptions, your Protestant 
judgments and, and come to it with an open mind. And once I did that, I started to recognize there was a whole bunch of scripture, as, as a Protestant scripture was the bellwether for everything, that I had never looked at in the way the Catholics did. In fact, I think there were scriptures that I had felt like I'd never even seen before. I'm like, what? Where did that come from? And uh, so then as, as the fog was lifted, I think the biggest thing that happened for both of us is that we recognized we no longer had to have all of the answers. There was a magisterium in place, and I can spend my entire life living contentedly in the Catholic faith and never stop learning and never have to have all the answers because the church has them. And if I have a question, I can find it out. The Catholic faith brought us complete peace. This is Lavinia Spirito for Catholic Way Bible Study. In the fourth century, catechumens at the Easter Vigil would process through their first communion chanting Psalm 23. It turns out Psalm 23 is actually a catechesis of the gateway sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. He leads me besides still waters. We emerge from the still waters of baptism as new creations. You prepare a table before me. Once we are baptized into the church, the Lord lays out the banquet of the Eucharist to nourish us. And you anoint my head with oil. In confirmation, our heads are anointed with oil, and we are forever sealed and identified with the cross of Jesus. And finally, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The gateway sacraments we have received encourage us all the days of our lives to follow the path of holiness towards our Father's house. Catholic Way Bible Study. Peace, power, purpose. Find out more at cwbs.org. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. And thank you for being with us here on Real Presence Live. We're having a really awesome, uh, profound conversation with Dr. Joseph Meany, the president of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. And I was just reflecting on this as we're um, having this conversation, like how appropriate it is actually that we're having this in Advent. Um, and, and Dr. Meany, I'd love to get your thoughts on this because I think you know, Advent is all about the preparation for the birth of Jesus, which is the incarnation. Like there's a there's a profound divine value infused into our humanity. Um, you know, certainly we're created in the image and likeness of God, but all the more that that God Himself comes and takes on humanity. And it, it seems to me that at the heart of a lot of the battles that we're waging right now is a loss of any particular meaning or value of the human person. Right? Isn't it? It kind of all focuses and swirls around whether the human person is inherently a valuable, intrinsically valuable being or not. I, I, take us, uh, help to unpack that for me. Yes, I, I think you're quite right. That Advent really focuses in on God becoming man mm-hmm. and, and the, the incredible dignity of, of the Christ child, even though he was born in stable, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and there was persecution going on, etc. But in a sense, it just shows how much God cares for human beings that He was willing to incarnate and then and then suffer death for us. So, a great part I think of of the appreciation of the dignity of the human person has to be how what God has done for us. Yes, and and shown us our own dignity that sometimes we don't even recognize. Yeah, mm-hmm. such that He says that what you do to the least of my brothers and sisters, you do to me. Right? Like, 
It actually is. Yeah. He's he's taken our humanity on himself, so that it's not kind of a side issue, right? Yes, absolutely, and and it, it gives us a sense, I think, of just the worth of, of every person, and and also the capability of every person that that we are, are capable of eternal life, you know, and, and choosing God or rejecting God. It's it's really an awesome responsibility that every person has, and that parents have with regards to their children in terms of helping them get to heaven and spouses as well. Yeah, it's so true because it's like God loves us so much that if we were the only person on earth, he he would just love us all the same, you know? I mean, he just, he, he has yeah. this incredible, um, just unconditional love, and yet the world is so not unconditional. Mm-hmm. They're so conditional mm-hmm. on this, 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 and that. And and that's not God. And so that's what's so important when it comes to life issues. You know, abortion, if we cannot love the unborn child in a womb, an innocent life, mm-hmm. I mean, we have 90% of the world's problems come just from that, not being able to love an unborn child. Yeah, and, and I would say even further, right, just just not even acknowledging the science of it. I, I think there are a lot of people who, because of abortion, and they're so committed to legalized abortion, they don't want to recognize that at the moment of conception, you have a brand new human being mm-hmm. right. uh, who has the same you know rights and dignity as the rest of us. And that, But, you know, because of their political position, they don't want to see that. And, and then everything flows badly from that in terms of, you know how we treat human embryos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's fascinating that really the the body seems to be at the at the epicenter of it all, like the human body. So, like, why is that 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 um, the medical issues seem to be so much on the forefront of the realm of bioethics right now? Yes, no, absolutely, and and also you know one one area that is growing tremendously, and I think is is kind of a coming threat is all this transhumanism. Yes. But again, they're really rejecting the human body. Mm-hmm. They're saying we're going to replace the human body with, you know, artificial constructs and even try to download the human consciousness into computers, you yes. know, all kinds of really crazy things. But it's almost a neo-Gnosticism, saying mm-hmm. we can separate the body from the soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, one, one beautiful, it's tragic, but it's also beautiful, is that um, some people who have gone through the uh, transition therapy have really come out to say how wrong it is Mm -hmm. and how they just felt manipulated and lied to. And their voices, we really need to help encourage them to have the strength to speak out, Mm -hmm. you know, and to support them with love um, because they're... You know, we're talking to you, doctor, and we could talk to you like all week long, 24-7, yeah. and, and there's just so much that to ponder and to think about and to pray about and to, like I say, we as lay people who aren't doctors in this field, mm-hmm. we need to be the foot soldiers, you know, um, we need to be educated on this enough that we can speak with boldness and courage. Yeah, and on that point, Dr. Meany, I'm curious, you know, as one who works in this day in, day out, what do you think are some of the issues that, that we as Catholics, that the, the average layperson just doesn't really understand they need to get it better? Yeah. I think we have to go back to basics. I think at this point there is more confusion in our culture than there has ever been, and probably in any culture previous. I mean... 
you know, the, the so-called Respect for Marriage Act mm-hmm. treats marriage in a way that is completely nonsensical. Yes. And right. the, the the transgender kind of ideology, the gender ideology, uh, really, you know, goes against common sense. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we are male or female, God created us that way, you know, we know we've known that since Genesis. Mm-hmm. And yet that's com- being completely discombobulated, and, and folks are saying, you know, your gender is assigned at birth. No, you, you're male or female. You know, and there's some tragic cases where people might have, you know, a- ambitious, uh, a- ambiguous genitalia, or, or they've had, you know, some kind of situation with a chromosomal difficulty. We're not exactly sure if they're male or female, but that can be determined, you know. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think there needs to be a lot of common sense and a lot of charity, because I think so many people are genuinely confused that you can't just, you know, tell them, oh, well, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. You have to really kind of right. and patiently explain to them things that, you know, our, our parents and grandparents took for granted. Yes, yeah. It's, uh, I, I heard an old adage in college that a mind converted against its will is of the same opinion still. So, I mean, you really do have to engage with them and actually respond to the, perhaps the, the good that's at the heart of their desire, right? right. I mean, like they, they, uh, yeah. I think a lot of times there is a desire for, you know, for freedom, for, for flourishing. But what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? And I think, um, generally speaking, it's, it's actually that people are aiming for, they want something good, but they're just so, so confused and so uh, misled and sort of deluded um, to think that this, this inherently evil thing is actually the way to it, right? Yeah. And I think there's a, there's a real need for courage, mm. because right now it is so easy to be silent. You know, people get punished, people get uh, blocked, people get, yeah. you know, in all kinds of different ways, canceled, etc. Yeah. Uh, if they stand up for things that are just very normal. And so uh, we shouldn't become strident, you know, that there's, there's no way that we should lose our charity. But I think the, the real virtue that is necessary these days is, is courage and fortitude, because we do owe it to the, those who are mistaken and confused who are not getting it from anyone else, you know, where the truth is. Mm-hmm. Tell them that in love is very, very important. Yeah, I, I love that you say that. Uh, it's just, it is so important because I, I know that there's so many people out there that just want to belong, you know, and, and that's why it's so important for us to grow deeper and stronger in our faith through the Eucharist and um, so that we can be that that compassionate person that meets them where they're at um, because there is just so much hurt in the world. And I would say when you know people are not living the truth, mm. uh, deep down they can't be satisfied. So there's an unease, there's a pain there. And, and if one can really reach out to them in love and say, look, uh, this is where the truth is and, and you can get help. You can really, really get healing uh, without without this terrible ideology, which is leading you astray and, and just wounding you further, it can help so many people on, on so many different topics, you know, all the way from, as I said, from abortion to transgender, but all these different things that used to be very clear and that unfortunately our society has has kind of muddied the waters with. Right, mm-hmm. right. So uh, what do you think, Dr. Mead? What how, how is the best way for the average person to go about educating themselves so that they can actually enter into conversation, they can be equipped to say, you know, this is what love actually looks like. This is how you actually thrive and flourish. Um, like, what do we do to start that start that movement? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think one does have to look for witnesses and, and wonderful people like Mother Teresa of Calcutta, mm. who clearly did such incredible work out of love and, and had the courage to speak out. You know, she spoke to presidents and the, and the Nobel Peace Prize people, 
And she, she was never silent about the importance and the dignity of the human person at all different levels mm. and all these different issues. I think we also need to have a good catechetical background, just, just know what the Church teaches exactly on these topics from, mm. from the catechism and not be, not be scared of, of letting people know. And, you know, just saying maybe I, I don't agree from time to time and then letting the conversation flow from that. Mm. Um, I, I think uh, we don't need to provoke it so much as we need to take the opportunities that arise around us. Yeah. Mm. I'm curious, you know, for me as a, as a Catholic, as a Christian, it's easy to speak toward the inherent dignity of each person. For someone who doesn't uh, hold any sort of religious view, how do they come to any sort of appreciation that each person is, does have inherent dignity? Or how do we have that conversation? Yeah, I, I think one has to go to love. Mm. And so, you know, the, the, the closest relationships of, of parents and children, and, and just to see how that exemplifies what's best in the human spirit. And, and wouldn't it be wonderful if we treat the strangers the way we treat our loved ones? Mm-hmm. And, and how could we, you know, have a kind of a universal charity that goes out to, to so many other people um, I think that's very attractive, even for individuals who don't have the faith yet, just to see that, you know, they'll know they're Christians by their love. Um, it, it is attractive, and it's wonderful. Mm. Uh, amen to that. You know, we talked with a, a couple with the Emmanuel community uh, earlier, and, and that was so so much a part, the compassion and the evangelization. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is just so important, especially as we're getting ready to get together with our families. You know, uh, at Christmas time, um, we can have families that are all over the map in different uh, areas um, who grew up in the faith, but have, you know, befriended or, or seen another side of our culture. And we just need to meet them with that love and uh but I like what you say about courage and fortitude, mm-hmm. too, uh, that, that perfect blend of that. Yeah, Dr. Me, we have just like one minute left. Do you have any kind of final thoughts or reflections you'd like to offer? I think that you know, evangelization definitely begins at home. Mm-hmm. We need to form ourselves and, and understand well what the Church teaches. And then I think we have to look at uh, all the people around us and see you know, what are their, their, their wounds, how can we help them, and, and look for resources. I mean, the NCBC, if, if people have ethical dilemmas, they can turn to us, ncbcenter.org. We're, we're very happy to have ethicists help them. But I think in general, just the age-old wisdom of the Church is very attractive if we can just get it out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think most people don't reject what the Church teaches. They don't know what the Church teaches. Yes. <laughs> Amen. And they yeah, yeah, they just don't realize all the treasures and riches of grace that are out there. Well, we want to thank you for, for being a, a resource, a kind of a, a, wells, a, a warehouse of, of that, uh, that wisdom. So uh, thank you for being with us this morning, and thank you for the work that you're doing, Dr. Meany. Oh, thank you so much. God bless you. Right, God oh, bless, God you, bless too. you, too. We do have to take another quick break, but we will be back with more Real Presence Live right on the other side. Stay with us. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network.